You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today's program is about the efforts by the AMA to reform restrictive programs on the federal level. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I am Dr. Stephen Marquardt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Rebecca Patchen. She is uh, the Secretary of the Board of Trustees for the American Medical Association. She's also an anesthesiologist and pain physician associated with Loma Linda University School of Medicine, where she's an assistant clinical professor of anesthesia. Currently, she's the chairman of the membership committee for the American Medical Association, as well as she's active in California State Medical Society Affairs. How did you get interested in serving for the AMA? How did it happen? Well, I got involved as a medical student. I was uh, late in life when I went to medical school. I was actually 35 when I started, and I had the opportunity to get involved as a representative from my medical school to the AMA. At my first meeting, I wrote a resolution, and I saw the ability that one person had to change the policy or the system, and since then, I've been actively involved. And it does give you the ability to make a difference. Does it give you a sense of hope as well? Absolutely. Physicians more than ever are at a crossroads. We have a broken health care and reimbursement system that we're working in. We're trying to help make the best of it for our patients and provide the care that we all would like to get for ourselves to each of our patients. But more than ever, it's important for physicians to get involved, in their organizations such as the AMA, their state and county, as well as their specialty societies. They need to get involved and meet their legislators, know them on a first-name basis, so that when they communicate with their legislators, it will make a difference. How do you get to know your legislator? Well, it's pretty easy. You can go to many websites. One is AMA website, and if you're not sure who your national or federal legislators are, you can type in your zip code and you'll get that. You can start emailing them when there's an issue of concern to you. Many times they'll have town hall meetings that will be in your newspaper. And once you get on the legislator's email list, they'll let you know when they're having a meeting. I know a lot of physicians I associate with, they, they contribute through their medical society to the you know, the PACs. Certainly. Is that the most effective way, or is it through emails and getting to know your legislator? It's both. That in addition to contributing to the PAC and on occasion writing those checks yourself to your individual legislator, it's important to communicate to them. Many of the legislators will look to the number and the volume of contacts that they have by constituents when they are determining a position on issues, and that's what's so important. What the PACs can do is they can pool resources from a number of physicians to make an impact on candidates that are friendly to patients and our physicians. Do you think the lawmakers are, in general, friendly to doctors? I think there's a broad spectrum across friendliness in legislators, just as there's a broad spectrum in the community at large to physicians. And there are some that are very, very good friends of medicine and others that there's room for improvement. What can physicians do to help, keeping in mind that they have the heavy workloads already? Well, one thing they can do is they can go to the AMA website, which is www.ama-assn.org, and sign up for our Physician Grassroot Network. 
We have a couple hundred physicians that are part of that network. When a bill comes up in Congress, you'll be sent an email, and all you have to do is click on it, and you can go to a link that will help you write an email communication to your member of Congress or to your senator. You can also involve your patients, as we have a patient action network, that we have over 2 million patients that are activists that communicate with members of Congress on issues of concern to patients. So a, a grassroots way to go about it, then, it Absolutely. sounds like. Absolutely. And you don't have to be a member to be part of the grassroots network. Have you seen the the association growing lately, or, or is the membership stable? Membership is essentially stable. What we have is some a couple of exciting programs that we're unveiling this year. One is We are offering a pilot for five academic centers on the introduction to practice of medicine is what it's called, where they will be able to have their residents at those five institutions do an online educational program to meet the ACGME core competencies. And we're really excited because it's part of a membership offer for the residents, and we see that there. We also are looking at programs for some of our segments, such as groups and academic physicians, and we have a number of things to try and and meet the needs of each of these segments within the association. So do you think that this will help increase the association membership? I think it will, yes. I know many of the physicians feel frustrated and discouraged with the current climate with regards to reimbursement and then the additional regulations. What is the AMA doing to, to help counter that feeling, perhaps? Well, we do several things. One is we have a very strong advocacy section focused in Washington, D.C., to communicate not only with the legislative branch, but the executive branch and in CMS. Part of our association advocacy outreach is something we call an advocacy resource center, that when we find that third-party payers or insurers are doing certain activities or behaviors that are illegal or not helpful for patients, the Advocacy Resource Center will then investigate and many times sit down with the carriers, and we have also even sued them in court. Is that like an ethics committee then? No, we have a whole ethics division, but the Advocacy Resource Center is involved in the day-to-day of helping physicians get paid fairly for the services they provide. You are listening to Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Marquardt, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Rebecca Patchen, and we are discussing efforts by the AMA to reform restrictive programs on the federal level. And we were talking a little bit about what the AMA does as far as advocating for the physicians. If you could just expand upon that a little bit. Well, the Advocacy Resource Center will listen to individual physicians' concerns, and then go to bat with them with the payers or with CMS to assist physicians in getting paid fairly for the services they provided to patients. Sometimes there's a regulatory change that was has unintended impact on physicians or a policy decision that is really unfair. One example is when in St. Louis, one of the plans was going to rate physicians with stars based on their efficiency, and you had to have a certain number of 
patients in a certain category in order to get the stars. And through the combined efforts of the AMA, the state, and the county medical society, they withdrew that plan. A similar proposal was put out in Washington State, and that too has been withdrawn. And through the efforts of all levels of the medical associations, those kinds of plans that really were not ready for implementation have been postponed or abolished. Well, that's good because it it gives the illusion to the uneducated consumer that star rating, for instance, in the St. Louis area, it looks like they're they're doing it based upon quality, but it could be nothing to do with quality and only in uh, how low a charge the, the physician charges the insurance company. Well, and it was even more complex than that. It had to do with the cost of care of charges that the physician was not responsible for, such as hospital or outpatient facility charges. But that would lower the cost to the insurance company or perhaps pass it on to the to the Well, uh, if you patient. used a facility that was higher than what they thought was acceptable, then you would not be given a star and be one of their preferred providers. And, of course, that has nothing to do with any kind of quality. Absolutely. It was all based on cost. Perhaps economic quality it has some to do with. As far as medical liability goes, we talked a little bit about how the, the physicians are coming back into some of the states that they've been driven out of. Yes. Texas is a prime example of that, that they're seeing an increase in applications of physicians from other states to practice in Texas. I know in Illinois, where where I'm based, there was a, a flight of doctors from the state, notably into Wisconsin and in Indiana, for just that reason. And what are you seeing there? Well, there's a there's tort reform now, so that there's talk about caps, and so now we're seeing a stabilization of the physicians, so that they're not as likely to leave due to to poor uh, malpractice atmosphere. What we saw was physicians would choose to retire or restrict their practice to, say, an OBGYN would no longer do obstetrics, would only do GYN, or they would relocate. And once the stabilization occurs, we see folks immigrating back into those areas and opening up their practices. Or in the case of obstetrics, perhaps they're cutting back because they can afford the malpractice for part-time practice. It could be, but many times with obstetrics, what it is is if you deliver uh, high-risk babies or if you deliver babies at all, there's a different premium than if you just practice gynecology. Do you see that changing in the future at all? Well, we're hopeful that we can help many more states achieve these types of reforms. We also are looking for other types of reforms in addition to the cap, such as a health court where a medical liability case would be tried in a system similar to like the maritime system where the judges are familiar with the maritime laws and and regulations is so that you would have an informed court system. That's one pilot that's out there, and we're hopeful that a state will move forward. Several have indicated an interest, but we don't have that implemented yet. But there's a number of those type of adjuncts to the the caps on medical on pain and suffering that we think would be helpful to stabilize the liability costs. Well, that sounds interesting. Would that would they then prevent un, uh, frivolous lawsuits? I I guess is what I'm hearing. We would hope that that would happen because. 
um, if you have an informed court system, they would easily be able to identify those that were frivolous and those with merit. And then we were talking a little bit about uninsured coverage for those people who don't have insurance. What does the AMA see the future in regards to that? Is that going to be a government program? Is it going to be private? Well, we think the best system would allow the patient to have choice of plans. We think that the public should have choice similar to like what the federal workers and federal employees have. They have a choice of benefit plans that would cover basic services to a very rich plan that would cover from those who might be more interested in reproductive fertility care and well baby checks versus those of us who may be more interested in mammograms and colonoscopies depending on the stage of our life so that you could be able to pick the plan that would most fit your needs. Well, that's, that sounds very hopeful and very interesting. So thank you once again for, for joining us today. This is Dr. Patchen. She's with the Board of Trustees for the AMA as well as Assistant Clinical Professor of Anesthesia at Loma Linda University. Thank you very much for taking time out from your busy day. Thank you. I am Dr. Stephen Marquardt, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.